Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, and I'm really excited about today's show. As guests, I have Sean O'Kelly, former Chief Information Officer for Financial and Professional Regulation for the State of Illinois, as well as Randy Kowalski, former Deputy Director of Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Technology for the State of Illinois, who will be talking about smart state initiatives. So don't go away. So in this week's tech news, more in artificial intelligence headlines is that researchers in Australia have discovered a potentially better flu vaccine um, using a program called SAM. And so if we recall the flu vaccine every year, it's a cocktail of what doctors around the world think will be the most likely strains. The hypothesis is that artificial intelligence can be a better predictor so that the flu vaccine can be more effective. In other AI news, a consortium of tech firms, which include Google, Intel, Microsoft, and universities like Harvard, are trying to set AI benchmarks. Uh, There's over 2,500 organizations that are involved with different types of AI, and this is a group trying to create a standard so that they can all use as a reference. U.S. retailers are joining together to file an antitrust lawsuit against companies like Amazon and Google, claiming that the Silicon Valley companies, even though Amazon's in Seattle, um, that they unfairly have an advantage over these traditional smaller entities because they can actually see all the data involved with all these other storefronts. So the argument is that millions of jobs, 100,000 manufacturing centers, And again, up to $1.5 trillion are at stake, and that's why they have filed this suit. The head of BIS, or the Bank of International Settlements, has done a U-turn on digital currencies or cryptocurrencies. Uh, For a long time, they were saying that there was no real useful reason to have cryptocurrencies. And now they're saying that they're actually embracing it and believe that there's digital fiat currencies that will be coming out. And it's very interesting that with this U-turn, They also made it very clear that they're anti, uh, quote-unquote, cryptocurrencies like Libra, which we just talked about last week. It's Facebook's foray into cryptocurrencies. In a study by Deloitte Consulting, they did a a poll on how enterprise executives look at blockchain as a technology. And the interesting fact here is that 73% of all Chinese enterprise execs see it as a strategic weapon that they actually have to adopt uh, blockchain in order for their company to be competitive. And this compares to 56% of American executives having the same feeling. And finally, as we reported last week, more municipalities are being hit with ransomware. Lake City, Florida is the latest, and they actually did pay a Bitcoin ransom. And also the Court systems of Georgia are also now hit. I'm not sure if they're paying the ransom yet, but this goes off of last year's Atlanta ransomware attack. So I'll be talking more about ransomware in CyberTip later on the show. And that's the tech news of the week. 
Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, I'm joined with Sean O'Kelly, who's the former Chief Information Officer of Financial and Professional Regulation, and Randy Kowalski, the former Deputy Director, Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Technology for the state of Illinois. Welcome, guys. Good afternoon, Keith. Sean and Randy, uh, I'm really excited to have you guys on the show today. I've done a lot recently in the smart city space, and now we're talking about smart state. You two were instrumental in drafting the state of Illinois' smart state initiative. So I want to talk about what that experience was like. Good afternoon. I'm Sean O'Kelly. As you mentioned, I'm the former chief information officer for financial and professional records. In terms of my role, the thing to keep in mind is that every state packages its departments a little bit differently. Um, and so I had responsibility for kind of classic, you know, infrastructure, security, compliance, uh, and applications. But in terms of this particular regulatory department, um, this, the state of Illinois packaged financial regulation and professional regulation together, which not every state does it that way. But what makes this, I think, this department particularly interesting is it, it ends up meaning from an IT perspective that you have to port a couple different business models for financial regulation. The department is responsible, was responsible for uh, regulating all banks, credit unions, currency exchanges, money transmitters, consumer credit outfits, title insurance. And so from an IT perspective, that's actually uh, essentially supporting a B2B business model. And so from a professional regulation perspective, the department uh, issues all the licenses for any kind of professional licensing in the state. And there's something like 250 or 260 different license types. Wow. But that's anything from a doctor, nurse, engineer, accountant, real estate agent, so on and so forth. And so, in essence, between banking and professional licensing, it the department, in one form or another, touches every nearly every citizen in the in the state. But from an IT perspective, that means we have to support, in that case, for professional regulation, a B two C model in terms of the licenses that, that are issued. The, the agency doesn't, and this is public information, the agency doesn't run off of tax dollars. It's, it runs entirely off of the license fees that it collects. Mm-hmm. So IT is responsible for about 70 to 80% of the revenue that the, that the agency takes in. So what that means is we get, we get involved in quite a number of conversations that involve smart state, emerging technology, as well as modernization, digitization, generally upgrading our technology. Hopefully it gives you a little bit of a sense of, of what agency does. Yeah, thanks. And then Randy, how would you dovetail that with the experience you bring? Sure, thank you, Keith. We've got um, what I actually, just for a little bit of my background here, that might give you some context. I spent 25 years in uh, finance uh, on Wall Street in the institutional fixed income and derivatives markets with Morgan Stanley and HSBC. This sector has experienced huge disruption and transformation by technology over the last 20 years. So I'm familiar with disruption and technology. In order to get back, uh, I decided to uh, join uh, Governor Rauner's administration to uh, and uh, they suggested I go under the Entrepreneurship Innovation and Technology Office. So with that office, what we did uh, is really everything is from a business development and an economic perspective. We promote, coordinate, network, stimulate uh, technology, innovation, and even small businesses uh, through various government means. So uh, basically, here's here's what we did. Okay, we, we ran some technology grants. 
We um, ran uh, technology angel tax and uh, incentives for the state, uh, which is a very interesting program. Ran small business development centers. And, and a lot of what I did was to connect the various innovation and technology sectors in Illinois, which is massive, uh, together to form networks and collaborations um, with our uh, two uh, national labs, Fermi and Argonne, along with all the universities, uh, UFC, UIC, Northwestern, and various other ones, plus all of our innovation network around the state. Um, you know, we have almost a trillion-dollar economy here in Illinois. So my, uh, my point was, and my idea here is to marshal a lot of those resources to point them toward innovation. Sean and Randy, thank you so much for the introduction. When we get back, I'm going to want to jump into the work you both did on the Smart State Initiative. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Sean O'Kelly and Randy Kowalski, former IT executives of the state of Illinois. Any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, joined with Sean O'Kelly and Randy Kowalski, former IT executives for the state of Illinois. Welcome back, guys. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having us. So for this week's question, I wanted to ask, what was working on Illinois' smart state strategies like, and what were the things that came out of that? Well, that's a great question, Keith. Let me start out with saying that uh, in 2016, um, our former CIO of Illinois, Hardik Bott, um, he was actually a former uh, Cisco and Chicago IT executive. What he did is he initiated the Smarter State uh, Initiative. So what that was, it was basically formed out of some white papers uh, that were commissioned by him. And it was really... To define, to define what it was, it was really a smarter government initiative. Um, basically, he focused in on, uh, well, Sean will get into this, but uh, he focused in on, on uh, integrating various uh, platforms, which were hundreds uh, in Illinois, legacy platforms. And so that was an internal, uh, our internal uh, projects, along with some ERP. The external projects, he did do some customer-facing, citizen-facing projects, for, uh, for instance, uh, educational uh, and some, uh, some platforms for customer engagement um, along some of the um, in DCEO and some CRM projects. But what we did, okay, after Hardik Bot left in 2017, what we did is we actually, uh, Nick Cosentino and myself at Do, at Do It, we actually expanded what a smart, smarter state is because a smarter government is really just one facet of a smart state. Um, we actually came up, we worked over a year on this, on this strategy, and we actually came up with five buckets for a smarter state. Uh, and let me give you these, okay? And sure. Because we had to do this in order to in order to get your hands around this massive technology transformation, 
uh, that's happening organically from the top up, top down, everywhere. We had to define uh, the sector. So we defined infrastructure and energy. We defined uh, a sector, uh, the data sector, mobility, health, welfare, safety and security, and then also e-government, which is really basically smarter government. Mm -hmm. So those five buckets overlap. They um, also, um, some of some of the projects might be uh, peculiar to each sector, but most of them overlap. As you can see, data would tie them all together. So, um, and this, what this does, it gives us a bite-sized piece when we go to, uh, to, to form our strategy and to evaluate timelines for implementation of projects. Well, thanks. That sounds very um, synonymous with what any enterprise organization also has to go through. So I, I thank you for the explanation. Sean and Randy, with all the buckets that Randy was just describing on the Smarter State Initiative, what is it like to have to juggle all that? This is Sean again. I came into government after 20 years in the private sector, former Accenture and Deloitte person. And, and one of my key sort of areas of focus prior to coming into government was in customer experience. And so in, in two of the areas that, that Randy mentioned, um, eGov and data, uh, he's absolutely right. There's, there's so much overlap there uh, between those two. But in essence, in the private sector, what people refer to as customer experience, uh, you could think of, uh, in the, from the government perspective, the extension of that really is the citizen experience. Mm -hmm. and, and so in my department, that's where we spent a lot of our time. I think where, where they will probably need to continue spending a lot of their time. And, and the reason is because, and when I say citizen experience, I mean that in its broadest sense, not just individuals, but I mean businesses that are Regulates that re regulated entities of the government as well, but I just I'm, I'm saying that and using that term in its broadest sense. The idea with citizen experience is that that irrespective of w whether or not it's a it's a B two B interaction uh, where you have uh, certain ways that you you require regulatory compliance or the B two C interaction, uh, you want to get to a place where you're leveraging technology and data so that you're you're starting to get away from that. Uh, form-based um, manual interaction, have to go to a facility kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, having to provide a lot of supporting documents, and and get to a place where, in theory, more of that is done electronically. Um, but but of course, in order to do that, um, you, you have to have the right you know the right technology stack in place um, uh, in order to facilitate those interactions. But the the larger theme I, I would like to just you know, to communicate here is that I think as time goes on, um, government, particularly state and local government, um, uh, is, is going to continue to receive a lot of um, demand. I think there's already a lot of demand, but I think it's going to grow to to interact and, and, and play in larger ecosystems. Um, and so what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> Up until now, I mean, I think the uh, government has had um, has statutory responsibility to keep data secure, keep it protected, and that's that's still true. And the state certainly certainly focuses quite a bit on that. As regulated entities and, and regulated individuals uh, or citizens 
have to interact with government, they're going to want, they, I think that expectation is there that they're going to want to uh, interact in, in more modern ways. Yep. So, um, so in terms of the citizen experience, one example of that, a specific example is when I walked in the door two years ago at the state, license applications were literally done on paper still. So if you were a doctor in the state of Illinois, or if you were finishing medical school and you're now applying for your license, you had to go to our website, download a piece of paper, fill it out, and mail it in. That was just two years ago. In the time that I've been there, one of the things that we did was we got 85% of those license applications online. How did you actually accomplish that? What's the way to make that more efficient as an example? I mean, there's a couple different things, but I think you really have to tackle it from two perspectives. One is you have to have right financial systems in place, and then you have to have the right customer experience front end in place. Right. What we did is uh, uh, last summer is we completed our uh, implementation of, of SAP uh, and adoption of SAP for financials. Our department was had um, something like uh, five to six to seven uh, different accounting tools that were being used. And so you, you, you consolidate that so you can properly account for all the revenue coming in. And then on the customer experience side, you really need to map out what that customer journey is, as well as follow the data through. Um, and we did those things. And we got those things accomplished so that it reduced the processing time that it took uh, for an individual to apply for a professional license in Illinois by something like, I think we calculated somewhere around 20%. Well, that, that's, um, that's great with the 250 or so licenses that your department had to manage. When we get back, Sean and Randy, I'm going to want to talk about all the technologies coming out that states and local governments are, are looking at, are adopting. So thanks again for being here. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today on the show, I'm joined with the former Chief Information Officer of Financial and Professional Regulation, Sean O'Kelly, as well as the former Deputy Director of Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Technology for the State of Illinois, Randy Kowalski. For this week's cyber tip, I'm going to continue on for what I said in tech news, which is ransomware attacks are increasing, especially with local and state government. But even so, it's all organizations. The reason why state and local governments are being attacked is because they're seen as a very high value target with all the data they have. They've been paying out the ransoms. And at the same time, they don't spend nearly the same amount of money that corporations pay to protect themselves. So for instance, JP Morgan last year spent $600 million in cybersecurity. So here are some tips, whether you're a government, a municipality, or whether you are a business owner or enterprise customer. These are all things that you should be thinking about. Tip number one, always control your email. A lot of vectors come in through what's called a phishing attack or other types of trying to get somebody to open an attachment, open an email. That usually starts an executable, which then leads the door wide open to stealing your information and putting in the malware. Next is protecting infrastructure. So this is the stuff that your company, your organization runs on. So many times, especially your system administrators, there are things that they can do to lock down their environment 
Um, your system is oftentimes has all these extra things that are administrative controls that you can actually tighten down because they're just unnecessary. So open ports, things like that. Also, you should always do a proper backup and recovery as part of your planning. And we always talk about patching. We've actually done past shows on how to patch your systems. Finally, have a strong business continuity plan. And I think especially for small business owners, you think, why would I need one? It could be just as simple as what I said earlier, how to know how to back up your data, firewalled off from anything connected to the network so that when your information gets stolen or locked down through malware, you have the ability to recover that data without having to pay the ransom. And as always, be vigilant. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Once again, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, joined with Sean O'Kelly, former Chief Information Officer for Financial and Professional Regulation for the state of Illinois, as well as Randy Kowalski, former Deputy Director of Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Technology. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thank you. One thing I'd like to get your take on is 5G, because the city of Chicago is considered you know, the first deployment of 5G. And in terms of what the city needed to do and the state needed to do to be prepared for that, what was that like? Chicago has, is the first one. Verizon has got, um, has got their 5G service. They just rolled it out a, a few months back. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're looking at across the state, too, just so you know, on the Smarter State Initiative, is 5G is going to need um, a lot of fiber uh, in the ground. Uh, autonomous vehicles are going to need a lot of 5G. So therefore, uh, you're going to you're going to need a lot of uh, fiber running along the roadways. Uh, Illinois, uh, we uncovered a really underutilized asset in the Smarter State Initiative. It's called the Illinois Century Network, which is a, over well over thousands of miles of fiber optic embedded in the interstates and state roads uh, as a gift through the uh, 2008 uh, the big uh, uh, the big Obama uh, stimulation. Uh, project. So we're using only four to five percent of that Illinois Century network along the along the uh, expressways, and 5G boxes will be perfect fit uh, because what you do is you put them on the uh, on the streets, on streetlights, and then you uh, connect them to the fiber, and then you can um, then you can backhaul it into uh, the general fiber networks. So we've got a lot of assets here that that we're uncovering that we can actually do. We did an RFI. Uh, for this, uh, and I'm not sure where it stands with the new administration, but we did an RFI in order to uh, to find out ideas on how to use this immense fiber optic network that we're not using. That's great, and that's very similar to the state of Virginia in their in their assets. You know, one thing I wanted to bring back because we were talking about uh, drones and um, unmanned vehicles, and then we also were thinking about how a lot of times there's cameras installed in that. Uh, San Francisco, there was big news lately that uh, San Francisco put a ban on facial recognition used for law enforcement. I wanted to get your take on what that means when a, a law that comes down or an edict comes down and you really made this technology adoption. How do local governments react to implementing that change? Because I would think that's not trivial to suddenly say, can't use any of this technology for this use case. Um. Well, Keith, depending on the ex- explicit rules of, of what San Francisco is doing, uh, here in Illinois, we do have a uh, facial recognition law. It's called the Biometric Laws of 2008. 
I believe. Uh, and we do restrict um, any kind of facial recognition, including, I believe, law enforcement. And law enforcement here also is restricted in their drone use. Uh, at least this was as of uh, a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, again, this is where technology, fast-moving technology, it's slow-moving administrative government uh, processes. And this will play out. Uh, it'll play out slowly as soon as data uh, again, the whole data privacy issue, data ownership issue, is the you know 2,000 pound gorilla here, and um, and where we go with federal guidelines, which we don't have too much at all. We have some of the GDPR, but even that doesn't go far enough. So we'll see how this goes. But um, I know the city of Chicago, uh, through their array of things, they have uh, by, by now they have well over 200 sensors. Uh, uh, that gather five different data types uh, around the city, and they um, they anonymize. Uh, they go through a, a very uh, thorough anonymizing process before they do any data uh, data analysis. Well, that, that's really so, that's really great to hear. In that, I think uh, back to human centered design or citizen engagement, a lot that has to do with, uh, as Sean had mentioned in the previous segment, that. Citizens want better uh, ways of connecting to the government, uh, more efficiency, and sometimes that has to do with giving up more personal information. So knowing that the government is enacting rules, here in California, we will have a more stringent version of GDPR that's already been passed but will be implemented in 2020. Um, I wanted to talk about this concept called algorithmic accountability, especially in the use of artificial intelligence. All these technologies that are coming down the shoot is how do you, people like you react and how do you make sure that you give really the citizens the confidence that one, the government's listening and two, that they can actually um, audit or hold the government accountable for the data that they're using. And I, I know you started with the, the policies and regulations, but how do they actually um, review that? Yeah, Sean may want to take this one. Yeah, in, in government, you literally have to have to follow Laws. The law allows for the collection of certain data or the sharing of certain data, then that will be facilitated through technology. Certainly, if, if it doesn't, then, then we stay away from that. But uh, if, if citizens do want to know um, what is being collected, there, I mean, there is kind of like the classic FOIA process that could be followed, mm-hmm. which we, we did quite a bit of in our uh, department. Um, but in terms of uh, algorithmic accountability, uh, I would say, you know, the state, we were just at the very beginnings of starting to look into how, how to leverage that. I don't know we're ready to start actually implementing that yet. But I mean, I think, the, I think that there is that along with any kind of emerging tech, AI, blockchain we were just in the beginning stages of, of looking at, into how to leverage those technologies. And I think you're right. So, a lot of this is new. So, you know, Sean, I know you personally are very big in the blockchain space. What is your thought about how blockchain is going to impact um, state and local government? Yeah, that one is that one's a little more clear cut than even than even AI or algorithmic accountability. I mean, I think when I say clear cut, I mean it. It it, it still is going to take a little bit of time for government to to implement some of these solutions uh, as they mature in the marketplace, but particularly around blockchain, the key thing is uh, actually the two key things are going to be identity and regulatory compliance. So uh, with regards to identity, um, that, that, in, that you can think of that in its broadest sense. Um, that could be the identity of an individual or a business entity. Um, it could be the identity of 
um, of a, a property like real estate or a, a vehicle or a boat, uh, or it could be the identity of a um, what you could think of in the broadest sense as a, as a unit of account, uh, cryptocurrency, tokens, uh, securities. Um, the, those are the kind of classic things that um, that that identity is going to cover. But particularly with regards to government, if you can um, identify individuals, uh, create that that digital identity on the blockchain, now you can you can you can take another step to improve the customer experience, the citizen experience. Uh, for instance. Perhaps in the future, you, in order to go to a portal to change your address with the government, you may not need to use an ID and a password in the future. That's one possible outcome there. Uh, with regards to real estate, I think there's a lot of applications around real estate. That's also one of the things that, that the, uh, my department regulated was, uh, was real estate. And when you think about the end-to-end real estate transaction and how to identify a property and then follow that property through as it, as it changes uh, hands over over the years, all the way through to its recording at the county level, that is one of the the, the key uses of identity uh, that people are looking at. Um, but specifically around professional licensing, too, an interesting one here is um, you mentioned GDPR earlier, where which is in a, in its broadest sense the idea that individuals can better control their own information. Um, so if you can. If, you, if every individual had uh, an immutable identity on the blockchain that you can then associate any attributes uh, about that individual to, now that individual has the ability, uh, more ability than they do today, to control the information that they choose to share. And that could be academic credentials, for instance. Yep. Um, so maybe in the future you don't need to go to your university to request that they send your transcripts somewhere if you're applying for a job or applying for, for research, you know, uh, opportunity or something. Uh, but you can extend that to professional licensing as well. Uh, when the government issues you a license to, to, uh, to be able to perform a certain profession, um, you don't, you may not need to go to the government to, to, to actually, uh, have them validate, um, that, that that license was issued to you, that it's already been validated. It's already associated with your identity on the blockchain. And now all you need to do is choose to share it. Hey, hey so, Sean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think identity is going to be huge and something that's really important in uh, both use cases for organizations and individuals. And um, Randy and Sean, uh, we're out of time on this segment, so I'm going to have you guys come back. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. So don't go away because we're going to have Randy and Sean back for the pivot as we talk about how governments could adapt to change. So you're listening to the Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I've been joined with Sean O'Kelly, former Chief Information Officer for Financial and Professional Regulation for the State of Illinois, and Randy Kowalski, former Deputy Director of Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Technology, also for the State of Illinois. Welcome again. Thank you, Keith. Thanks. And we're now in the final part of the show, which is the pivot. And I think a perfect thing that we've been talking about through all of today's show is really how governments are adapting 
to technology and change, and especially with the rate of innovation that's happening all over globally. Um, and I, I know you two have a lot of opinions. What do you think cities should be doing to keep up with that rate of change and to adopt, to evaluate and adopt those technologies? So, Keith, just a couple thoughts from from my perspective. I really think as the demand grows for governments to participate in the larger ecosystems, which, like I said, may, like I said earlier, may include the regulated entities that that they're responsible for, as well as providing the the right citizen-facing portals. I, I really think that there, there needs to be focus on upgrading the technology stack. Um, and so, while again, a lot of the focus has been on security and 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 rightfully so, um, uh, getting to a place where you you have um, you have well-organized, well-clean uh, data, I think uh, it's got to be one of the focuses. Um, modern portals, modern CRMs, modern um, uh, middleware uh, to open up APIs so that the government can uh, interact in, in these larger ecosystems that allow it to capture information, share information, and, and, and ultimately get to a place where you can automate more of the interactions um, that that others really want. And that could be interactions with other state agencies within the state, other other uh, agencies within the federal government, agencies and in local government, as well as uh, um, industry associations and agencies and regulated regulated entities. So, Sean, um, you, you have experience with both the private and the public sector, so uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But what kind of obstacles might come up for uh, executives in your position with, the, with local government, and then how do you overcome those obstacles to, to make these changes happen? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And, and look, I mean, gover- to be totally fair, government has really, really hard choices. The elected leaders have really, really difficult choices when they have to go through and prioritize and budget uh, what, what is going to get funded and what, um, you know, what, what takes priority. So, uh, you know, when they have to choose between um, a, a, a program that maybe helps kids or an IT project, those are really, really hard choices. Uh, but ultimately, I think the, 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 the biggest thing is just trying to tell the story um, you have to make sure that you're working with your uh, your appointed and, and elected leaders to to uh, demonstrate the the priority of of how this can help citizens, how it can help the government itself, um, and and ultimately, you know, projects have to get funded. That's where it starts. Thanks. Yes, and if uh, Keith, if I could uh, just elaborate on this, uh, sure, Andy. One of the things. Sure. One of the things that we've seen here traveling around the state of Illinois for four years is that um, it, the key, the key to technology implementation is communication, it's network, it's collaboration, and mostly education. Uh, government is not a, is not an early adopter. It's a late adopter at all, if you, if you um, know what I mean. And it's, um, technology for these, for a lot of people is just a tool. It's just a means to an end. It's not like, uh, you know, we're talking a bunch of technologists uh, for the love of technology. So if you identify um, uh, what's going on, what you need to do is you need to educate um, the, the government administrators who are risk averse and, and uh, for good reason 
um, and to give them a safe space in order to learn about the technology uh, through third parties, uh, through, uh, you know, a safe space for vendors to tell them without, without going down to the sales, uh, the sales pitch, um, to collaborate with other uh, nearby communities to see what they're doing and to potentially go through some cost savings uh, plans and, and, and uh, team up with uh, regions also and states. So really it's a matter of education. So what we did is we, um, we created the Illinois Smart City and Region Association, and we're a 501c3 nonprofit educational, and we are teaching Illinois municipalities from cities, towns, counties, states, um, about everything in these five stacks we just told you. And we're also teaching them how to uh, write a technology strategy, a smarter strategy, uh, and also best practices in the technology as it stands now. Um, so all this is just trying to keep up with the massive information flow that's coming through um, in, in this digital transformation we're living through. So like I said, it starts with education, and then we help them with uh, strategizing, planning, and implementation. Well, Randy, that sounds like a very worthwhile nonprofit that you're working with, and I once again want to thank you and Sean O'Kelly for being on the show today. It's gone by quick, so thanks again. Um, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider Keith Koo, joined with Sean O'Kelly, former Chief Information Officer of Financial and Professional Regulation, and Randy Kowalski, who's the former Deputy Director of Entrepreneurship, Innovation, and Technology. Both Sean and Randy are open to connections on LinkedIn, so you can find Sean at Sean T. O'Kelly and you can find Randy at Randy Kowalski, K-O-W-A-L-E. S-K-I. Any questions or comments on today's show, email us at info at svn.biz. See you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.